Ladies and gentlemen, drivers, gig workers, and everyone in between, welcome to This Week in Rideshare Podcast. I'm your host, Jared Hoffa. It is Friday, August 25th, and this week, Dara moonlights as a driver, a mayor, a mayor vetoes a bill, and Uber raises the minimum wage. Legal Rideshare breaks it down. And of course, from Legal Rights, I'm joined by the co-founder and lead attorney, Bryant Greening. Bryant, happy Friday. Happy Friday, Jared. Great to be back. Likewise, this is an interesting week. Some some good news, some some bad news, but it seems to be the way it goes. Uh, we're going to head into, let's, let's go right into Monday here. And this is a new study, nothing, nothing new for us here, but a new study uh, looks at delivery drivers' working conditions. And this is from Business World, and they reported... Quote, the conditions of gig workers at the local ride hailing and delivery platforms have shown no, no improvement since last year, according to a study highlighting financial insecurity and safety risks due to limited protections. And they really go into detail here. Um, they say, first off, none of the 10 platforms de demonstrated fair pay and representation among workers on fair management. Two out of the 10 platforms uh, received a point for having formalized processes that allow workers to appeal decisions, I'm assuming such as deactivations. Um, basically, the end result is the rider or driver being chained to the platform labor for survival, working longer and harder hours to make a living. So this isn't simply uh, drivers or delivery workers saying that, hey, things are tough. This is a study, Bryant, saying it is as bad as we think. Yeah, you know, this is something that we've known for a long time, and it's it's kind of devastating to see it in, a, in formal writing. But um, anecdotally, we talk to drivers every day who are telling us how bad it is out there, how the pay is minuscule in comparison to what it used to be, how the safety uh, conditions are, are just you know terrible, that they don't feel safe doing deliveries, that they don't feel safe with people in the back of their cars. They don't even feel safe going to some of the neighborhoods where, um, you know, rides are requested. And not to mention, there's just no support from the companies. Um, I think it's important that studies like this come out because they generate press, they generate uh, publicity, um, and, and perhaps we can get the right eyes on this topic, whether that's politicians, the companies themselves. Um, or just the, the community to take note of what these workers are going through. Um, but like I said, this is, it's not new news. It's just published news at this point. Yeah. And even when it is something that you had brought up many times before in other podcasts uh, and in, in, you know, uh, interviews is that, and this is new and I'm starting to see this more and more. And I think we're going to start to see a lot more focus on this. They really went into something that they call platform related indebtedness which is basically getting into debt, you know, in order to have the aspirational process of gaining access to platform work. So things like, uh, you know, lenders, vehicle companies, operators, contractors, all these people that you have to, that you're throwing money to, like renting a car or renting this or getting this extra feature to do this. And it's, they're buy, they're actually now, it's not even that they're making a low wage, they're actually going into debt to even try to think that, oh, this will, this will give me the edge. And it's, it's devastating. It, it really is. And I, so many people are, are just not um, given the proper information before they get into this space, whether it's taking out a, a vehicle that you know they think is going to generate a lot of income and that it, it doesn't, 
um, going into debt to, you know, put themselves, you know, to buy the tools and equipment that they need to perform this job well, or even just, you know, going in and, and not having the information that they need about the expenses that they're going to have along the way, the maintenance of the vehicle, the gas costs, you know, it, it costs a lot of money to be successful in this industry. Um, and the, the workers just, they, they need to have access to better information about that before they decide to um, change their lives and, and make this their primary source of income. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's good to see they're highlighting it, but as always, you know, we're hoping for a solution here. Uh, we're going to head into Tuesday. Uber CEO reviews his, quote, nightmare uh, while moonlighting as an Uber driver. And Fortune uh, did the story. and They reported the initiative called Project Boomerang internally saw this uh, Uber CEO driving the streets of San Fran on several occasions when it asked his worst nightmare experience. He revealed it wasn't actually involving any passengers. He says, quote, it was when I was a courier, uh, I was trying to deliver food and couldn't find where to drop it off. Trying to figure out the maze of apartment complexes was a challenge. Uh, he then said, hey, on the bright side, his work experience has taught him that Uber needs to do more to make its drivers passionate about what they do. Uh, what are your thoughts on that, Brian? I'm glad to hear that, you know, Dara and, and the other CEOs and the other companies do take uh, steps to try to put themselves in the driver's shoes, because I think it's a really important um, thing to do to, to gain some perspective um, as to what the, the people who are really doing the work and generating the billions of dollars for the company have to go through. Um, I can tell you that when I started Legal Rideshare, I drove uh, for Uber as well. I wanted to get a real sense as to what um, our clients go through on a daily basis, what the job entails, what are the, you know, the great parts of the job, what are the bad parts of the job. And, you know, luckily I didn't have any safety issues when I was on the road, but uh, similar to uh, Dara's experience, I found the navigation to be really difficult, really stressful, um, communicating with the passenger, you know, trying to have like an, an upbeat uh, customer service kind of component to what I was doing along with tracking where I was on the road and where I needed to stop and the next passenger I needed to pick up. Um, it was, there's a lot going on and it's a much harder job than people give it credit for. Um, so I knew I gained a lot of respect uh, for, for gig workers and, and I hope that experiences like um, Dara and, and other CEOs um, have also facilitate that respect and, and, and uh, encourage some better treatment and, um, and sympathy. Oh, t oh, totally. And you know, you know, for a fact, you know, he's saying he was struggling with, with the, the complexes and it was a maze. You know, if he had kept doing that and messing up those deliveries, his ass would have been deactivated just like other drivers would have, because, you know, he probably was you know, messing up or putting the orders wrong. Um, and it just goes to show. And that's, you know, we know that's what customers do. They, they could send complaints. And next thing you know, the delivery drivers deactivate it. Yeah. Wouldn't that be a story? I can see that <laughs> on, a, you know, Business Insider or something about you right. know, uh, Uber CEO deactivated from platform, um, you know, upset that he can't get a hold of a real person in the customer service department to help him. Uh, it's, um, it's almost too good. It's it's almost too, it almost feels realistic enough to happen. Yeah, I, I think maybe maybe next time he goes out, next time uh, anybody gets a, a package delivered by the Uber CEO, make sure to leave a very honest review. <laughs> get him fired from his own company. <laughs> Be brilliant. Right. 
And we're going to head off into Wednesday. Instacart's business slows as it heads for IPO. This is from Insider Intelligence. And they added, uh, you know, while Instacart's revenues did rise 30% year over year to about $1.4 its gross transaction volume grew only 5% year over year. So it's now become questionable whether that growth model is sustainable, which is problematic given that Instacart executives may begin their IPO pitches to investors as early as next week. Um, it's saying that they slowed down, but in contrast, you know, it was 10% growth for DoorDash and Uber. So it looks like Instacart, which was the the darling of the pandemic, might be in the in last place at this moment. Yeah, it, I think Instacart was was obviously, as you just mentioned, a real winner during the pandemic. People were using them for everything. The only way that people were getting groceries uh, is everybody was afraid to go out of their house. But you know, at this point, now that we're out of um, the pandemic, I would say largely, um, people are out and about. People are doing their own shopping. Um, they're not spending the extra money to have it delivered. Um, and Instacart's just not diversified like the other companies are. You see that Uber makes money in a, in a many different ways, whether it's rideshare delivery, um, courier services, you, know, you name it. Um, I, I don't see Instacart as viable um, just because I, I think most people do their own shopping. You know, everybody orders delivery food. Everybody needs a ride from point A to point B. Um, Instacart doesn't provide a, a service that I think enough people use outside of a pandemic environment. Yeah, at least for myself, um, you know, this is just me, but yeah, during the pandemic and even uh, the year after, year and a half after, I was using Instacart pretty religiously. I was using it to get all my deliveries. I can't tell you the last time I've used it. Um, just like you said, I it's just easier for me to use an Uber Eats or DoorDash that has more options that I can go off. Well, I need some groceries, I can get it. But if I want food, I'm just already on the app. Um, and it just, it just, it has me, it's just right there where Instacart is more like a, okay, this is, I'm using it for this main purpose. And I no longer need that purpose because I can just go to the store. And I think that is what's happening with the rest of the country. Right there. I think there's absolutely a place for Instacart. It's just the, it's seat at the big boy table. Like it had it, during the pandemic, I think that was always inflated. I think that was pandemic driven. And, you know, now that we're in a different place, I, I just don't know that it's the type of company that demands the same respect and will will generate the same sort of income uh, as the other ones that just have a lot more services and, and products uh, to provide. Right. We'll see. Maybe they'll, maybe they'll adapt. Um, we, we will see. We're going to head off into Thursday, which is a devastating story. Uh, Minneapolis's mayor vetoed but would have been a major win for drivers. And this is from Fortune. And they added, quote, the mayor of Minneapolis uh, on Tuesday vetoed minimum wages for Uber, Lyft, and other ride-hailing drivers, a move one city council member described as inexcusable betrayal of Minneapolis workers. Uh, the mayor instead negotiated with Uber, securing an agreement for higher pay for only those drivers. Also, to make note, Lyft drivers are not covered by the mayor's deal. Now, I, I might sound, this might be dramatic, but how the hell is this democracy? Um, <laughs> and it, it, the more you read into it, the, we've been talking about this a lot. It's infuriating. These drivers spent eight months talking to drivers, city staff, national experts, everyone to craft, to modify, to go up the ranks, the ranks to get this to that point. 
and the mayor does a backdoor deal with Uber and vetoes the damn thing. I just yeah, it's it's really disappointing. I mean, it's just we see this over and over again that the drivers have so much momentum. They do all this work. They get the, you know they have their allies in the local government who they they spend their time with explaining the issues. It, this the mayor is not the one who they've been lobbying for you know, the past year or however many months they've been working on this. It's the the council members and they're the ones who understand the importance of this and who have really gone through the numbers and who have heard the stories and then it goes up to the mayor's desk and and somebody who just hasn't really done the work uh you know takes the pulls the rug out from underneath everybody's feet and it's just um it's devastating and it's unfortunately common and um you know it's I, it's it's just it's hard to to maintain uh, you know hope when you when you hear things like this, but you've got to because it things are getting passed in, in other jurisdictions in the around the country, and if you keep pushing, something will stick. So, um, you know, I I feel for the the workers out in Minneapolis, but you know, it's you got to try to keep your head up and, and keep the the fight going strong. Yeah, couldn't agree more. I, I just they they need a break. I hope it happens soon. They just need it. Everyone needs it, but that was that was rough to rough to see. Uh, we're gonna head off into Friday. Uh, Uber raises the age to drive in California to twenty five. This is from AP Business. They reported Uber raised the minimum age requirement for most of its new drivers in California to twenty five on Thursday under rules the company said are necessary because of the rising costs of commercial auto insurance in the state. The new rule applies only to drivers signing up to transport passengers with Uber's ride-hailing platform and not for those delivering food with Uber Eats. Previously, people as young as 21 could sign up to drive, and the age limit for deliveries was 19. Um, you know, we, Brian, actually, you you have talked about in the past that the insurance costs are starting to really bite into Uber, and I think this is pretty apparent now. Yeah, it's an interesting move. Um, it's it's a cost saving move in their perspective, uh, and it you know it has safety repercussions or, or benefits, I guess, as well because it's it's well known and it's been studied that the older people get, the less risk that they take. The older people get, the fewer accidents they tend to get in. Um, so you know, having an older driver base, I think, you know, just by the statistics means it's a safer driver base. Um, certainly we would like to see access to the app to anybody who um, is qualified and wants to work. Um, but I, I just think that it's interesting that we're seeing Uber take what turns out to be a safety move um, because it helps their bottom line. Um, they seem to only be interested in making these, these decisions towards safety when there's um, money to save or, you know, the lawsuits to stave off. And, um, you know, I just, I just find that interesting. I just, you know, when it costs them money, sure, we'll make this safety move. But if it's just for the, the true safety of people on the platform, um, you know, Uber's not always rushing to make those decisions. No, of course not. And I don't, I don't know how, if you read the entire article, but they did a, they did a nice dig and gave us a nice shout out indirectly of trash talking law firms. They said, as a result of these lopsided requirements, Personal injury attorneys have created a cottage industry, which is pushing our costs to more than 65%. <laughs> so they're screaming and blaming us that that is why they're doing this and we're we're killing them, apparently. Yeah, you 65%, know what? 65%, Brian, that's, their costs have risen because of us. 
that we should have an award show or something. It's <laughs> right. a badge of honor. I, I, uh, I feel um, very honored to be uh, this co- that this cottage industry is um, taking such a hit out of these multi-billion-dollar companies. So um, we we clearly are fighting the fight, and um, you know it's not the injury attorney's um, responsibility to make sure that people are safe on the road. It's the company, and we're just here to hold them accountable. So hopefully, they continue to make changes that make everybody safer. I would love there to be zero accidents on the roadway. I would love for nobody to get hurt in these things. Um, and if Uber and Lyft took safety seriously, maybe they could drive us out of business um, rather than complaining about what we're, you know, what we're doing to their bottom line. Right. It's like they're complaining that it's not fair that we're helping compensate people who are injured. That's not our fault. That's like you said, if they were safer and these standards were better, then maybe we wouldn't be here. Right. So this cottage industry is booming because Uber and Lyft aren't safe enough. Right. Um, so, <laughs> well, you know, we'll be around as long as they're not taking safety seriously. Exactly. Um, all right. Well, before we head off on the weekend, I'll, as usual, give you uh, give you the floor. Uh, yeah. So, it, you know, Friday night, everybody's going to be uh, getting their weekend started. And we just want to remind uh, everyone that as they're moving around, if anything happens, if there's an accident, an injury, um, we are here to help. Please do not hesitate to reach out to us for a free consultation. Um, if you um, get involved in an accident, we want to help uh, set you up on solid ground to make sure that you say the right things uh, to the insurance companies, that you do the right things to protect your interests, um, that you get the treatment that you need. Um, and we will help fight for you um, to get the cost of treatment recovered, uh, re- receive your lost wages, uh, pain and suffering, you name it. So please don't hesitate. LegalRideShare.com is the best way to find our contact information. Um, and time is of the essence when these things happen. So get get a hold of us right away. Awesome. Thank you, Brian. And as I like to say, that is the end of this week in Rideshare. See you next week.